Welcome to Rad Reading, a bookish podcast where the R stands for Refresh and the D stands for Discover, and where we try to help you do those two things for your reading life. I'm Ronnie Lauren, a best-selling romance author who likes her reading life to be big on variety and full of complicated characters. And I'm Don Alexander, an indie editor who never met a whodunit she didn't want to solve or an intricate plot she didn't want to untangle. We are two very different readers, but two very good friends who love to talk books. Join us as we tackle reading roadblocks, give our best bookish tips, and of course, recommend all the great reads that have kept us turning the pages that week. Let's get started. Welcome back to Rad Reading. I'm Dawn. And I'm Ronnie. And we are celebrating all the things on this episode because, first of all, it is Ronnie's birthday. Yay. So happy birthday to Ronnie. And it's also our podcast birthday because we have been doing this a whole year, which is crazy. Like it feels right? crazy that we have been doing this a year because I still feel like it's new. And now I feel like that we've hit the year mark. I shouldn't be making as many mistakes. <laughs> like I should like have experience at this now. And I can't blame that. Like, well, it's brand new. We're just still figuring it out. Yeah. Well, I guess we can't say that anymore, but I'm so proud of us. A whole year. That's a long time. It is. We and have we- built some serious TBRs for people. Definitely. And for ourselves. <laughs> so <laughs> I was counting books. This is going to be an embarrassing admission, but I was thinking about like, I probably need to do another book ban buying month, which Dawn will laugh because I never, <laughs> ever make it through ever. It's so much fun seeing how far she actually makes it though. Like, <laughs> oh, this time it was four days. Awesome. <laughs> I know it's super, super sad. I, I'm so ter- terrible at this goal, but I've done better this year because I've used my library a lot. Um, so I've gotten, I haven't bought as many books. However, the library has also meant I haven't read as many TBR books that I had already owned. Um, so yesterday I was like, just curious. Cause I was looking at somebody's book banning blog post, and they're like, I have 67 print books that I haven't read in my house. And I'm like, Oh, girlfriend, <laughs> like, <laughs> like uh, besides your bed or <laughs> like 67 is, is nothing. But um, so I'm like, I wonder just not counting ebooks because ebooks are a whole nother animal. And that would be, you know, a lot to count. So I'm like, I'm just going to count what's on my shelves that is not read and see what's there. So Dawn, how many books do you think I have on my shelves that are unread that I own? Okay. Now see, I'm cheating a little bit because I can see the shelves behind her. Well, see, I have these two shelves, but I also have another shelf of that same size over here that you can't see. And I have a short shelf over here where you can't see. So well, since you since you laughed at 67, I'm going to guess at least like 85. Oh, sweet baby Dawn. <laughs> <laughs> it's 450. It is 450. <laughs> yes, it is. Not counting ebooks, which at least is probably that amount. So yes, I have a problem. <laughs> you have a library. You have 450 <laughs> books that you haven't read. Yes. Yes, I know. The face you're making, that's the face I made. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> okay, so I'm going to try to do better about bringing some backlist books to you guys going forward and getting some of these books off of my shelves. Um, yeah, and it's this is over like 10 years of book collecting. So, you know, I didn't buy all these this year or anything, but it's still not great to have all these stories just sitting there being unread. Their job is to be read and I'm leaving yeah, them lonely. just languish on the shelf. So yeah, so my goal for my 43rd year is to get better at reading what I have already purchased (laughs) or getting rid of it and donating it to somebody who is going to read it. So, all right. So now that I've made my big confession, (laughs) we could move on to the episode. Um, And what we're going to do is what we did for Dawn's birthday. So I'm going to kind of go through my history as a reader and give you an idea of, you know, why my book choices are what they are, why I recommend what I recommend here, kind of how I got to that point. And then Dawn, I'm so excited, is going to gift me with book recommendations. That I did not put in the notes. So she doesn't know what they are yet. No. And I have to give a quick shout out to our rad reading podcast people who follow us on social media and saw my post about I'm a chicken. I can't even look at the description of the horror books. <laughs> Somebody give me some options here. So I really appreciate those recommendations. And we will talk about that when we get there. Awesome. I'm excited. Um, so just to start in my you know little notes, it says books that made Ronnie a reader. So that's what we're going to go with. But um, 
My first big shout out I wanted to give is to the Scholastic Book Fair and those book club flyers that we used to get children of the 80s and 90s. Um, They would come, you know, every month at school or every couple of months and you can order books and they would come into school and it would be this exciting thing that you get this box of books. Um, I was curious, like, do they still do this? Because I haven't gotten a flyer from my son's school or anything. Um, but you can view them online. So they do still exist, but they are now in the digital space, which doesn't seem as nice as those little newspapery colored, mm-hmm. you know, print things, but it is still there if you want to order from Scholastic. And the thing about Scholastic is you were kind of limited to their books, like they were putting out Scholastic books. So a lot of us were reading the same things together, which I think was, you know, kind of cool. And one of those things that was like a zeitgeist for my generation was the Babysitter's Club by Anna Martin. So that's where I started the earliest reading memories I can think of beyond like board books as a little kid um, was the Babysitter's Club. So I think this is where my love of a group of friends and like that found families thing in books, I tend to write a lot of found family friendships and a lot of female friendship. And I think that's where the seed was planted for that. Because the Babysitter's Club, they went on all these adventures and they were starting their own business, but they were, you know, there for each other as friends. So they really kind of bonded as a family. And I still have all of my Babysitter's Club books. My mom saved them for me in the attic. And um, when they got flooded from the hurricane, it was one of the boxes that survived in the attic. So she brought it to me. And now I have the complete collection, except for book one has its cover ripped off because I think I did a book report where I ripped the cover off to put on the book report, which... Now adult me is like, God, why did you do that? (laughs) Baby Ronnie is so wrong. But um, I'm pretty sure that's how that happened. But yeah, so I have the whole collection. And then I had a son. So he's definitely not going to, I'm not going to be passing along to him, but maybe a grandchild or, you know, something in the future, a niece or something. But not that boys can't read Babysitter's Club. But my son wouldn't read. He's not a reader in general. So he definitely wouldn't read that. Um, And then, Dom, were you a Babysitter's Club reader? I was not, I have to admit, I have never read a single Babysitter's Club book. I think I am just enough older than you Mm -hmm. that it was like past me. Right. Um, I was reading Judy Bloom instead of Babysitter's Club. So kind of a bigger gap there. But I was a little darker, (laughs) a little darker, a little more advanced. Did you do Sweet Valley High? Because it was like kind of two teams, like Babysitter's Club or Sweet Valley High. I was pro Babysitter's Club. (laughs) So not Sweet Valley High. No, no, I didn't do those either. I remember those. I can picture those in my head, but I didn't Mm -hmm. like them either. Yeah, yeah. And then one of Dawn's formative books is also mine. So A Wrinkle in Time in the whole series by Madeline Lingell. Um, I'm not going to talk about it a lot because Dawn talked about it in her episode and I had shared on that episode too. But that was one of the first books that swept me away to a different world and kind of just gave me that feel for, you know, books could really take you somewhere and that book will always be close to my heart for that. Um, and then Bridge to Terabithia or Terabithia, I don't know how to pronounce it, but by Katherine Patterson. Um, this, I'm pretty sure, was a school-assigned book. So it was in the Scholastic Book Fair thing too, but I'm pretty sure we had to read it for school. And about this book, if you haven't heard of it or it wasn't assigned to you at your school, um, the back cover is Jess Ahrens has been practicing all summer so he can be the fastest runner in fifth grade. And he almost is until the new girl in school, Leslie Burke, outpaces him. The two become fast friends and spend most days in the woods behind Leslie's house, where they invent an enchanted land called Terabithia. One morning, Leslie goes to Terabithia without Jess, without Jess, and a tragedy occurs. It will take the love of his family and the strength that Leslie has given him for Jess to be able to deal with his grief. So this is a sad book, fair warning, if you're looking to give it to your child. Um, but what I loved about this book is that it gave me like, that escape feeling of you could create your own escape. So me and my friend, um, my best friend, Jenny would go to like this little kind of wooded area by her house. It wasn't a park or anything. It was just like an empty lot. And we created our own Terabithia. So like we brought our stuff there and there was, we made a little pond and um, you know, cause this was back in the day when your parents would actually let 10 year olds like wander free in the neighborhood. <laughs> so um, had no idea where you were for an yes. entire day. Yes. yes. And, <laughs> Side note, but I read an article the other day that was like, it's a much safer time to be a kid now than it was when we were kids. Like kidnappings are down and all these dangerous things are down. And they're like, but we're more overprotective as parents. So like, we don't let our kids out, but it's actually a safer world than when we were kids. But I'm like, 
research mind me is like, is it a safer world because we're overprotecting our kids and they right. can't be kidnapped? And that's why the kids <laughs> are down. Like, yes, that seems like you could reverse that and say, Hey, we're doing a good job. We're keeping the kids safe. But, um, but yeah, so that one was like bringing a book into my life to where I started to actually do things, you know, um, fantasy type type things that eventually would probably make me a writer is creating these worlds and creating these fantasies that we were going to go play. Um, Dawn, did you read this book? I had a very traumatic experience with this book. <laughs> I love this book so much. It is one of my favorite books ever. And my best friend, when I was the same age as the kids in this book was a boy. Mm-hmm. And so it was that whole, we're in elementary school and you're best friends with a boy. And it was this whole thing. And our teacher read it aloud to us in the third grade. I distinctly mm-hmm. remember her sitting there. I can picture her and all of her 80s-ness reading this mm-hmm. book aloud to us. And I was absent on the day that the tragedy occurs. Oh. So I came back the next day and was like, oh, what happened in the book? What happened in the book? And so she had to tell me. Oh. And like the class had already processed the tragedy, but Mm -hmm. I had not processed it. And so she had to deal with me like sobbing through like the spelling lesson because I was so upset. So it is an amazing book and it's um, very much gets you those feelings without being melodramatic. Mm Mm-hmm which is kind of hard to achieve for the age group that it's written for. But yes, be aware if you're going to give it to a child, you need to be ready to help them process some stuff. Yeah. And I feel like it, like you said, it did it in a way that was more palatable, I think for the age group, because I was like traumatized by where the red fern grows. That one did not do it in the way that, you know, I'm not recommending that one. (laughs) I'm still scarred. So, but that one's kind of in the same vein and, but it didn't do it to where it like eased you into it. Um, and then my next kind of jump in reading was y'all know, I love horror. So where that came from was back in the nineties, RL Stein and Christopher Pike books were the thing. Everybody, um, maybe not Dawn, but everybody was reading these (laughs) teen horror books. Um, and I'm not talking the goosebumps. So goosebumps was like a little bit after my time and it's for a younger audience. So these are like the fear street, They weren't fluffy. They were horror books. Um, They had titles like The New Girl or The Wrong Number, The Lifeguard. I can still picture these covers in my head. Like they're so in my, you know, essence as a reader. And then Christopher Pike had titles like Remember Me, The Midnight Club, Chain Letter, Slumber Party. Um, So I used to devour these. And I still, like I said, when I see the covers, I get joy from them. If I see them in a used bookstore or whatever, I don't know if the stories would hold up now. Like if I read one now, if it would still be good, but they were really propulsive. I would just go through them constantly, you know, checking them out at the library or getting them from B. Dalton. Um, and <laughs> and it really like paired me up with that whole horror kind of highway to where you start graduating to like Stephen King and those things. So that was like my, I cut my teeth on the R.L. Stein and Christopher Pike books. Dom, were you reading these? <laughs> I don't remember R.L. Stein because I always associated R.L. Stein with Goosebumps and I was too old for Goosebumps. Mm-hmm. I did devour Christopher Pike. And for some reason, Christopher Pike is associated in my brain with Lois Duncan because mm-hmm. I think they both came up during that time mm-hmm. and had similar covers. And I did read a lot of those because to me, a lot of those were mystery suspense thriller types. Right. They, they were scary. There was some mm-hmm. scary stuff going on. Mm-hmm. But they weren't the, I'm not going to be able to sleep scary. They were the, I need to make sure I lock this door scary. Right. Um, One thing that I find kind of fascinating and I shouldn't, but it just entertains me is that Christopher Pike is actually very active on social media. Oh, is he? Yeah. So I need to, when you were saying, you wonder if they still hold up. I'm like, I feel like I need to go find a couple of his books and read Mm -hmm. them and see if they still hold up just to see and see if he has anything new out i have some i have um on my shelf i have chain letter and i have to die for so they put out new editions of those and i have them on my shelf so if you ever want to borrow them um but i haven't reread them i bought them when i saw them but i haven't reread them it's in the 450 of the unread (laughs) but um but yes i don't know and i mean it would probably be throwback too of like the 90s it's going to be very 90s feeling which could be fun too 
Um, and then after I kind of graduated from those books, um, it started to be what I call the sneaky reads. So this is that time in your life as a reader when you're kind of too old for the teen books. And back then YA was not what it is today. The YA readers have no idea how good they have it right now. Like it was such a narrow field. It was either like the important books you read for school in YA, or it was, you know, some of the Fear Street and Babysitter's Club and like series, but there wasn't like this, like really world building books and all of these that are here now are tackle serious issues that those were fewer and far between. So you kind of had to jump to adult books if you wanted more of that. So I think most of us have snagged books from our parents or a sibling um, when we were too young to read them. So I know that a lot of romance readers tell me that like they stole their mom's romance novels and that's how they started reading them. I did not read romance growing up. My mom was not a romance reader. So that was not around the house. And it's not like I'm going to go ask her, Hey, you know, that book with the guy with her, you know, in the dress (laughs) holding her and he's got his shirt off. Like, can I have that book? Um, To my mom's credit, she probably would have been like, okay. Cause she never restricted what I could read, but um, but what I did steal from her or, you know, kind of take off the side tables was Mary Higgins Clark. I devoured almost her whole list of whenever that time was nineties, all the things, um, weep no more, my lady, a cry in the night, a stranger is watching while my pretty one sleeps. I can't tell you what each of those are about anymore. They, but cause I've read them all so close together, but they were all like these really like high drama mysteries and, you know, suspense was mixed in. So they were a little scary. Um, but there was usually a female heroine. So you, you know, I could connect with that, but I, those titles have stuck. Like I didn't have to go look up her titles. I was like, what are those Mary Higgins Park titles? And they mm-hmm. came, came to me off. So I think because they were horror adjacent, like, I mean, a stranger was watching <laughs> pretty creepy, um, but they weren't so graphic for me that I was like horrified at, you know, 12 years old or whenever I was reading these, they were palatable for my little developing brain. Um and then we went to the things that were probably not good for my developing brain, which so many of us have this origin story. It is not a unique one, but the flowers in the attic series, um, my mom had her, you know, seventies looking copies. I still have those copies. Um, and I got obsessed with these books. I'm sure I read them way too early. Like I had to be, I had to be probably, I don't know, 11 or 12. Like I was young. Um, but they primed me, I think, for my liking of like forbidden and dark romance for taboo. Um, These were straight up horror. They weren't supposed to be (laughs) romantic, but you know, if you read them, you're kind of pulling for some of the things and it's like, why am I pulling for this? Um, And they are so over the top tragic, like talking about melodrama. (laughs) It's like melodrama times a thousand. Like it is so over the top. But when you're young, like that melodrama just feeds into your veins. Like, yes, everything is dramatic right now. I'm 13. Yes. Um, So I do want to go back and read these one days because like I said, I do have the 1970s copies. I don't know how they would, you know, feel to me now, but I went through the Flowers in the Attic series and then everything VC Andrews, pretty much everything she wrote because there were very similar series. They kind of followed the same kind of melodrama and uh, they had the little cutout creepy covers with like the cutout and the head of the girl was the main person. There's one called Dawn. Oh, I know. <laughs> yes. Yes. I absolutely had it. I did. Yes. Yep. So, but I, I think I mainlined all of those, like back to back to back, all of those series. So Dawn, I know you're, you were exposed to flowers in the attic as well. I was, and it's kind of weird because my mother very much read everything and would have been like, here, you can read this, but mm-hmm. she didn't read those. Mm. And, um, this is a a friend's older sister had them nice it was like (laughs) here you like to read read this and then I and I did the same thing I read all of them Mm -hmm. and you know and I would have been about probably 11 or 12 Mm -hmm. and read all of them and then oh my gosh when I found out there was one named Dawn (laughs) I had to have that one I mean, I had to. So yes, absolutely. Yeah. See the must read one for me, I think it might've been Ruby, but there was one that was the Landry's and it was set in Louisiana and I was growing up in Louisiana. So I remember thinking like, Ooh, this happens where I live. So that one was the one that was entertaining for me. But after I made it through the melodrama, I, you know, eventually got to high school and graduated to adult horror. So this is when like Anne Rice's interview with a vampire series kind of had a resurgence. So that, that movie came out when I was 14 so that's my freshman year of high school. 
Um, so I was reading those. And of course you have like forbidden romance and you have vampires and we know I love a vampire. So that is where that started. Um, and then I started with Stephen King. So I had seen Stephen King movies, but the first book I read of Stephen King was The Shining. And I remember that I was young enough, young enough when I was reading that, that the first line of the book had a word I didn't know. And so me being the curious child that I was with no internet <laughs> was like, <laughs> I'll go ask my dad what this word means. Well, the first line, you guys, of The Shining, if you don't know, is Jack Torrance thought officious little prick. Guess which word? I didn't know. <laughs> it wasn't officious. <laughs> <laughs> which so that was hilarious. an awkward conversation. <laughs> so that was an awkward conversation. He was like, well, that's actually a bad word. So don't say that. <laughs> so I was like, so embarrassed. Never asked the question again from any book. I just <laughs> found a dictionary. Um, but I got into Stephen King and those, you know, obviously very rich um, horror. They're harder to read, but I kind of, you know, made me a stronger reader, I think. And then another suspense author who I don't hear too much about, but my mom loved her and she was a local New Orleans author. Her name is called, or her name is Erica Spindler. And this was kind of, I don't think they were romantic suspense. I think they were just straight up suspense, but I borrowed those books because she just had them stacked around and say borrowed. That means I just took them. Um, <laughs> and the first one I read was called Shocking Pink. And it was about three girls who were spying on a couple playing kinky games. And then someone ends up murdered. So that was probably my first exposure to any kind of kinky content in a book. I know for sure I had no idea what was, what was being explained. <laughs> um, you know, Catholic school girl, very sheltered at this point. Um, it also had a dual timeline. So that's, you know, I'm obsessed with a dual timeline. So that started that, but um, this probably planted a seed somewhere deep in my psyche for the kinky books that I eventually wrote. Um, this came out in 1998. So it would have been, okay, that was my first year of college. So I was 18, but I was a very young, sheltered baby 18. Um, <laughs> so yeah, but it's a good book. I don't know if it would hold up now, but I, I remember it being a very suspenseful book and her, I think she's still possibly writing. So, um, and then as most of us have experienced, if you've gone to college, college starts and your entire reading life dies. So you have no time to read anything but your homework. And so I went through a master's degree. So I went through six years of college and pretty much stopped reading for fun completely. Like my reading life died and I really didn't get back into it until, cause you know, you get out of college and what do you do? You get your first job and your job is really busy and you're trying to figure out how to be an adult. And I got married and um, got a house and all of those things. So stopped reading. It makes me sad to think all those years I didn't read, but the book that brought me back um, was after I had my son, I was going through Target and, you know, doing what moms do when you have a new baby at home. Like, I just need to go to the Target just to see that other humans exist in the world <laughs> <laughs> and that not all babies cry all day and, you know, all of that. So I saw this cover with hands holding an apple and I love a vampire. So I picked up Twilight. Um, and my son was born in November of 2007. So that in the twilight world eclipse, the book three came out in August of that year. So my guess based on the copies I have, because I have eclipse and hardback and I have the other two in paperback. So I didn't discover twilight right when it came out. I didn't discover it until eclipse was coming out and, you know, they were on the shelves. So I raced through the book, um, in the whole series, I remember having to wait for the fourth. So I had to wait for the breaking dawn, but then I went on like the big Y paranormal binge because that was the thing then. So I went through the House of Night series by PC Cass. I went through Vampire Academy by Rochelle Mead. I'm not going to go deeply into those because I've already talked about this in a previous episode. I do want to give a shout out that the Vampire Academy TV show has started. It's on Peacock and they're doing a good job with it. So I've only watched three okay. episodes so far, but if you were afraid um, how they would do so far, I think it's it's been really well done. Um so I dove deep into YA Paranormal and then I decided to write it. So the first book I attempted to write was YA Paranormal. That book is sitting safely in a drawer that you will never read, but that is what I credit becoming a writer. I always wanted to be a writer. I wrote when I was a teenager, but this was when I first sat down and was like, I could do this. Like, I think I can do this. And that changed my life. Um, of course that YA Paranormal did not get published and I was still reading and I kept, I was reading all those YAs and I kept wishing that the YA would get hotter. I'm like, 
they would just you know because it's ya they would just bring you to a certain point and then it's like eh, like i want to see the things um on the page so that's when i discovered erotic romance and at that time the big authors that i discovered were maya banks and shayla black jc burton lauren dane and joey w hill most of those writers are still writing so you can still find books out there now um in that here we are. That gave me what I wanted to write and started writing erotic romance and got published. And here we are today with me as a reader. That is quite a journey. Yeah. <laughs> that is quite, quite the journey. It was fun to do this. So Dawn had to do it for her, her birthday and I did it for mine, but I encourage you as a reader out there to kind of think through what your journey has been. Like, how did you get here? How did you become this kind of reader? Because it was kind of fun to like, go back like a scrapbook and see like, oh, it was this book that turned me onto this genre or this book that turned me onto that. Um, so yeah, I, it's a fun, fun activity to do. And now I get to gift you with all the books that I've been sorting through and deciding this is hard to do y'all because like for my birthday when ronnie did it we had just gotten back from book bonanza so she narrowed it down to picking books from book bonanza which is makes her smarter than me <laughs> because i was like i have all the books in the world and here's the problem <laughs> Ronnie has read all the books in the world. So I'm sending her a text like, how updated is your Goodreads? Because I'm <laughs> trying to go through and make sure I don't, re don't recommend things she's read. So last year for your birthday, I don't know if you remember this, but I was very proud because I managed to get you a cookbook that you didn't have. Yes, you did. Because I got you a cookbook about Austin recipes or something like that. So my first recommendation is a cookbook. Yay. <laughs> And this is Movie Night Menus, Dinner and Drink Recipes Inspired by Films We Love. Nice. It's one I don't own and I've never heard of. So you could own okay. this Okay, <laughs> point for Dawn. So um, the, I guess cookbooks have back cover copy. The, the blurb sure. for this is... <laughs> Looking for a great idea for date night or to entertain friends? Why not queue up Casablanca with some French 75s and Moroccan-themed spread? Turner Classic Movies, Movie Night Menus spotlights 30 crowd-pleasing films from the 1930s through the 1980s paired with signature drinks and dishes that appear in or are inspired by each film's setting and stars. Filmed with, no, sorry, filled with entertaining tips and background on each film. That's what I thought was super cool about it, mm -hmm. is they give you the information about the background, and then they give you, like, hints of if you're having everybody over to watch this movie, here is how you could decorate, here is the things you could oh, serve. That's really cool, yeah. This book offers a unique culinary tour of movie history, including menus inspired by The Thin Man, The Philadelphia Story, Sunset Boulevard, Some Like It Hot, American Graffiti, Moonstruck, and many more. I'm I'm super excited because, you know, I'm obsessed with cookbooks and I've been into older movies this year. So one of my goals was to watch some of the older movies. I, I bought a book about older movies and which ones to watch, which are some on that list. So this is the perfect recommendation. You did awesome. I'm going to add that to my list to buy or have someone buy for me because it is my birthday. Yes. <laughs> so. Yes. Because you're going on that non-buying thing. Right. <laughs> um, she just rolled her eyes so hard at me. You guys so hard. So I was excited about that. I thought that was a good, that would fit your thing. Mm -hmm. And it also goes with your other newsletter that you do, because mm -hmm. I'm sure some of these books are, or some of these movies are romances. Yes. So that, that also goes with your um, other newsletter. And then, so I put out a call for help on the Rad Reading social media because I started looking through the horror recommendations. It was like, I wouldn't even walk down this aisle in like the <laughs> library. So why am I doing this to myself? So I'm going to leave those comments there for you. There was a couple that I know you've already read. And mm -hmm. so I was going to read those comments, leave those comments there for you to find. I did find two that aren't exactly horror. They're more Dawn level horror. Okay. Um, but I think you would like them. So the first one is uh the night she disappeared by lisa jewel okay and this just reminded me reading the paragraph about it there were so many nopes for me on this 
but this would be one of those that I would want you to read first mm-hmm. and then be able to say, okay, yes, you can read this or no, here's what happened. You don't need to read it. So it says, on a beautiful summer night in a charming English suburb, a young woman and her boyfriend disappear after partying at the massive country club estate of a new college friend. One year later, a writer moves into a cottage on the edge of the woods that borders the same estate. You know when you got a cottage and a writer in the woods? (laughs) Right, you're in trouble. It's about to get real. (laughs) It says, known locally as the dark place, the dense forest is the writer's favorite place for long walks. And it is on such a walk that she stumbles upon a mysterious note that simply reads, dig here. (laughs) So this is an excellent recommendation because I own this book and have not read it. It was a book of the month, like add on or something. And I have a hardback of it and it's on my shelf over there, but I've not read it. So it's a good recommendation because that means I should take it off my TBR and make it a R. (laughs) Yes. So you should read it and then you can say, yes, I can read it or no, I can't read it. Um, Yeah. It's, it's, could this be a clue towards what has, what has, what happened to the missing young couple and what exactly is buried in this haunted ground. And I was good until we hit haunted and I'm like, nope. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to sacrifice you for that one. Thanks. Yep. I will, I will vet it for you. And then the other one that was kind of, kind of in the spooky season, which we will do our spooky season all the scary wrecks that Mm -hmm. y'all get to listen to Ronnie talk a lot and (laughs) Dawn just hide her eyes and ears. And we will do that podcast soon Mm -hmm. because we do it in October. This one doesn't come out for a while, but I know you're going to get it whenever it comes out. I'm still going to pretend like it was my idea. (laughs) And this is the only one left. And this is by Riley Sager, which is one of our... mm -hmm like auto buys mm-hmm. i should rephrase that it's a ronnie auto buy <laughs> and then i buy it if it's approved because mm-hmm. some of his are re- really great and some of them too much i like you. sleeping yes <laughs> so this uh have you heard of this one yet i haven't i haven't i don't think it comes out until late next year okay but um i think it might come out next summer it is um this is a gothic chiller about a young caregiver assigned to work for a woman accused of a lizzie borden like massacre decades earlier so it says at 17 lenora hope hung her young sister with a rope now reduced to a schoolyard chant the hope family murders shocked the main coast one bloody night in 1929 while most people assume 17-year-old Lenora was responsible, the police were never able to prove it. Other than her denial after the killings, she has never spoken publicly about that night, nor has she stepped foot inside Hope's Inn, the cliffside mansion where the massacre occurred. Why is it always a cliffside mansion? Why is that always? <laughs> and always in Maine. I mean, Maine just sounds like, a, I mean, it sounds like a lovely place, but it also sounds like a place where you could die. <laughs> yes, Definitely. <laughs> stabbed her father with a knife and took her mother's happy life and now it's 1983 which was another reason why i thought you would like this Mm -hmm. and home health aide kit mcdear arrives at decaying hopes Inn to care for lenora after her previous nurse fled in the middle of the night in her 70s and confined to a wheelchair lenora was rendered mute by a series of strokes and can only communicate with kit by typing out sentences on an old typewriter One night, Lenora uses it to make a tantalizing offer. I want to tell you everything. It wasn't me, Lenora said, but she's the only one not dead. As Kit helps Lenora write about the events leading to the Hope family massacre, it becomes clear there's more to this tale than people know. But when new details about her predecessor's departure come to light, Kit starts to to suspect laura might not be telling the complete truth and that seemingly harmless woman in her care could be far more dangerous than she first thought that sounds creepy yeah no i i really like riley sager's books and i'm behind on a couple of them but i hadn't heard that one so good job don i like all yes, of these i was excited i was excited about that that one very much sounds like one that you would have to read and just tell me about like i'm not Mm -hmm. living with any illusions that i'm going to be able to read that one that one just sounds a little too creepy yeah and then i know that you like memoirs 
Mm -hmm. And this one's a little bit different, but it absolutely sounded like one of your characters. Okay. And so I'm going to recommend this one too. And this is called Nowhere Girl, A Memoir of a Fugitive Childhood. And it is by Cheryl Diamond. Okay. And it says, by the age of nine, I will have lived in more than a dozen countries on five continents and under six assumed identities. I'll know how to forge a document, how to withstand an interrogation, and most important, how to disappear. To young Cheryl Diamond, life felt like one big adventure, whether she was hurtling down the Himalayas in a rickety cart or mingling with underworld fixers. Her family appeared to be an unbreakable gang of five. One day they were in Australia, the next South Africa, and the pattern repeated as she, they crossed continents, changed identities, and erased their past. What Diamond didn't yet know was that she was born into a family of outlaws fleeing from the highest international law enforcement agencies, a family with secrets that would eventually catch up to all of them. By the time she was in her teen, Diamond had, teens, Diamond had lived dozens of lives and lies, but as she grew older, love and trust turned to fear and violence in her family. The only people she had in the world began to unravel. When she started to realize that her life itself might be a big con and the people she loved the most dangerous of all, with no way out and her identity burned so often that she had no proof she even existed, all that was left was a girl from nowhere. Surviving would require her to escape, and to do so, Diamond would have to unlearn all the rules she grew up with. Wild, heartbreaking, and unexpectedly funny, Nowhere Girl is an impossible-to-believe true story of self-discovery and triumph. Wow, that's an intense backstory. Now, that sounds really interesting. That sounds like one I'd like on audio, um, if, she, yes. if, she, if she narrates it herself. But um, no, that sounds really good. And I always think about, like, with these crazy memoir stories is if you grew up in the crazy, you don't realize you're in the crazy. Like, right. <laughs> like you think, oh, everybody must just jump to countries and change names. <laughs> you know, like you don't know any different. So I always find that interesting because kids have no perspective to compare it to like your parents or your parents. And this is normal to them. So that sounds interesting. You did good, Dawn. Well, I have one more. This is the last one. Um, and this is because I know that my plan to bring you into the superhero world is mm -hmm. secretly working. <laughs> and I know you liked um, Vicious. And mm -hmm. so this is kind of the opposite side of that. Okay. And this is a YA and it's called The Rest of Us Just Live Here by mm -hmm. Patrick Ness. And it says, what if you aren't the chosen one? The one who's supposed to fight the zombies or soul-eating ghosts or whatever the heck the new thing is with the blue lights and the death. What if you're just like Mikey, who just wants to graduate, go to prom, and maybe finally work up the courage to ask Anna out before someone goes and blows up the high school again? <laughs> because sometimes there are bigger problems than this week's end of the world, and sometimes you just have to find extraordinary in your ordinary life, even if your best friend is worshipped by mountain lions. <laughs> <laughs> this is basically it's about the normal kids mm -hmm. and they talk about the indies which are the kids that are the artists that are kind of dress a little different and are kind of the outcasts that always turn out being the chosen one mm -hmm. and this is just about the average kid sitting next to him in english class it's like ooh, they die every now and then that kind of <laughs> sucks right um and so the I looked at the sample pages for this and the first thing that caught my eye on it that kind of sets the tone is it says chapter the first in which the messengers messenger of the immortals arrives in a surprising shape looking for a permanent vessel and after being chased through the woods indie kid Finn meets his final after being chased by her through the woods indie kid Finn meets his final fate <laughs> so each chapter gives you a little summary of what's going on with the superhero ones yeah of what's going on yes yeah so those are my recommendations those are my yeah that one sounds a lot of fun and i i wonder if the author was inspired by like y'all know i'm watching buffy i keep talking about it but in buffy you know she is the chosen one and then like willow gets powers and xander is just there so xander's not and the chosen that ones. <laughs> 
in um it's mentioned in the reviews oh, that, yeah. that this is Xander's quote of <laughs> and, and I don't I didn't write down the quote so I don't remember what it was but it's Xander's quote about I just get to be normal you know right, <laughs> right. or like all those people that were going to sunny day Sunnydale high and the school blows up at you know the end of the first season or whatever because it's pulled into the hellmouth. like what are they thinking is going on <laughs> gas leak it's always yeah. just a gas it's leak. just always the gas leak yeah yeah no those are great recommendations i'm definitely going to add some of these to my list and you know maybe get somebody to buy them for me i'll ask my husband because now i'm supposed to be on a book buying band <clears throat> <So> <laughs> maybe that'll just start after my birthday you know it is it is my birthday week so i should get books. yes um yes you should yes yes thank you dawn and we should make this a annual tradition because this has been a lot of fun uh, both recommending and get, getting recommendations so we hope that you guys out there have found something that would you know be interesting to you as well and if you haven't we even have more recs because we have our rad recs of the week and these are the books that we just love and want to put on our list that we think are great so I do you want me to start Dawn since you've been having to talk for a while <laughs> actually I'm gonna go first because it's your birthday and then you can wrap everything up okay you Yours is more special today. So my rad wreck of the week, which I always am so proud of myself when I say <laughs> that right, is Only a Secret by Delancey Stewart. It actually comes out this week. And I love the whole Casper Ridge series. And I've mentioned the series before. It hasn't been a rad wreck, but I did mention mm -hmm. the series before because it's this group of former fighter pilots that one of them inherits a lodge in Colorado and they're fixing up the ski lodge and it's bringing in all these um, different characters and it's Delancey Stewart. So there's always a lot of laughs. It's got these very sweet moments. It's also very steamy. And there's a treasure hunt going on in the background nice. that goes across all of the books. And this is the fourth book in the series. It absolutely could be read as a standalone. Even the clues for the treasure hunt kind of gather up. So you could read this without reading the other books. And Only a Secret is about a child star who has come to the lodge to basically hide out from a scandal. She's not a child anymore. She's a former child star. I should say that. And she meets Brainiac, who is a former fighter pilot turned professor who only plans there to be there long enough to fix some things. And then, of course, he's moving on. Sure. Sure so, he is. <laughs> yes. So lots of laughs, lots of fun, some really hot love scenes, and some secrets. Nice. Nice. Why can't we inherit a lodge in Colorado? <laughs> so, all, right? these, all these book people are always getting inheritance of, like, hotels and stuff. Um, before I give my rad rec this week, I do want to second Dawn's pick from a previous episode. So she picked Wrong Place, Wrong Time by Jillian McAllister, and it was amazing. So I wanted to add my five-star rating to it. Um, what I wrote in my book journal is the backward timeline was great and how she set the scene in each was so well done. Like I'd never thought what it would be like to wake up and be back in one of the previous houses or apartments we lived in, what that would, you know, feel like. Or to be able to step into previous versions of motherhood, like seeing your kid as a toddler again. There were so many good meditations on motherhood and marriage in here. Like how when you're in the midst of parenting, you miss so much because you feel like, you know, that phase will last forever. But seeing her jump back and now her kid is shorter than her again. And then his voice hasn't changed yet. And he doesn't hide things from her yet. Um, it's such like a bittersweet thought to think not to look back at a picture of when they were little, but to actually like see them again mm -hmm. um, like that. So that really gave me all the bittersweet mom feelings. And um, so there was also a funny moment where she jumped back to when she was 24 and she just like marvels at herself naked <laughs> in her younger body. Like, man, I look great. Um, so I think what was unique about this time travel, besides the moving backward instead of a time loop, was that she wasn't just going back in time in general. She was going back into her body in that time in her life, reliving moments. And that felt new and fresh to me. So I thought that was a great recommendation. I've already passed it along to my mom. She's reading it right now. But it had all those things I love with time travel and kind of deep characterization. But there's also something they're trying to solve. Um, so, so good. So I'm just putting an extra stamp of approval. So it's a double rad rec. Um, but my official rad rec this week is a very me choice. So I figured if we're doing an episode about my birthday, I would pick something very specific to me. But this is a weird one. Um, it's called Nightmare Fuel. And it's the science of horror films by Nina Nesseth. 
And like I said, I know it's a niche, but some people out there like horror, like me, um, the back cover is this. And Dawn can answer the first question immediately. <laughs> back cover says, <laughs> do you like scary movies? No, no. So she <laughs> need to pick on this book. Um, if you answer yes, have you ever wondered why? Nina Nesseth knows what scares you. She also knows why. In Nightmare Fuel, she explores the strange and often unexpected science of fear through the lens of psychology and physiology. How do horror films get under our skin? What about them keeps us up at night, even days later? And why do we keep coming back for more? Dawn in her head is thinking, because you're stupid. But (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Because Um, they don't like sleep? I don't understand. Um, Horror films promise and experience fear. From monsters that hide in plain sight to tension building scores, every aspect of a horror film is crafted to make your skin crawl. But how exactly do filmmakers pull this off? The truth is there's more to it than just loud noises and creepy images. With the affection of a true horror fan and the critical analysis of a scientist, Nesseth Nesseth explains how audiences engage horror with both their brains and bodies and teases apart the elements that make horror films tick. Nightmare Fuel covers everything from jump scares to creature features, serial killers to the undead, and the fears that stick around to those that fade over time. With in-depth discussions and spotlight features of some of horror's most popular films from classics like The Exorcist, to modern hits like Hereditary and interviews with directors, film editors, composers, and horror academics. Nightmare Fuel is a deep dive into the science of fear, a celebration of the genre, and a survival guide from going to, for going to bed after the credits roll. So, Dawn, you can't read this, but from my book no. journal, I said, I thoroughly enjoyed this. The only drawback was that sometimes the science sections went a bit astray and drifted from the tight focus on horror. However, the horror movie stuff was fantastic. Um, it added a bunch of movies to my watch list. So, I also love books that teach me random facts that I can bring up to other people in the future. Like, you know, those party facts that you're like, did you know I'm that person at the party? Um, introverts need that. We need like the, the like little suitcase of things we can bring up because we run out of topics. But these are some random things that I learned. Um, I learned to describe um, how they design monsters in movies. They had a quote that said, eyes in the front, the animal hunts, eyes on the side, the animal hides, which is true in like regular life so a deer has its eyes on the side so it's not a hunter a dog is a hunter has eyes in the front so now i'm like always gonna remember that eyes in the front the animal hunts um so that's how they they were talking about it because that's how they design monsters in the movies is that they put the eyes in the front if it's going to be a hunting monster you know and like so anyway um also closing your eyes during the scary parts actually makes it worse because your mind creates scarier (laughs) images than the movie um so keep your eyes open you guys And then horror reflects the fears of public consciousness. So what's going on in each era affected what we found scary and what horror movies were about. So the history and eras of the horror section, like they had a section about the history and the eras of horror was one of my favorite parts. So this explains why like some older movies might not scare us in the same way that they did back then, because maybe they were worried about world war two and the movie had something, you know, about Mm -hmm. that, like buried into the theme or in the eighties, you know, it could have been political stuff about Russia, or it could have been, you know, all those kidnappings that were happening or the serial yes. killers in the eighties. <laughs> and then Wes Craven had a quote in there that I like that says, horror films don't create fear. They release it. Um, which I think goes to that whole thing. I told y'all about science of people with high anxiety often like horror films. And I am a person who has high anxiety and I love horror. And so I think that's why, because you can release those feelings, the anxious feelings in a safe way. You know that you're going to walk out of the theater or, you know, your living room and you're going to be okay. Dawn doesn't know that. That's why she doesn't Mm -hmm. watch them. But like, I can feel like, okay, I got scared. I released that adrenaline and all of that fear stuff. And then now I'm like, whew, we're all safe. Everything's good. Um, So I thought it was fascinating. If you're into, you know, weird things about movies and stuff too, it had all kinds of descriptions of the movies and why they work and stuff. And I, I just, I really liked it. So that is Nightmare Fuel, The Science of Horror Films by Nina Nessif. Yeah, I disagree with so much of that. I just can't even, <laughs> the the closing your eyes during the scary part. We went to a movie recently that had two or three horror movie trailers before mm-hmm. it, which, okay, first of all, no, no, that's not okay. That's not the type of movie I'm at. Mm-hmm. And so I literally, like, during one of them, literally sat there and stared at my hands the whole time because I could not look at the screen. Mm-hmm. And I refused to believe my brain was making up anything scarier than what I could hear because it was <laughs> terrifying. Yeah. So, yeah, it's weird how our, I, I'm, you know, 
I'm not an academic at heart, I think, but I, it's weird how like our fears are different and what works for some of us and what doesn't. Cause like, I think I, I don't know if I mentioned on the podcast, but we went to the Seattle space needle when we went to Seattle and I literally could not look at the scene. Like I went out on the little deck and I was like, Oh hell no. And <laughs> I couldn't even like, there's a little interior part that you can sit, but you can still see outside. Right. I had to put my back because my husband and son were still looking and doing things. I had to put my back to it and stare at the elevators because I could not look and see that I was that high in the air yet. I'll go watch a freaky horror movie. So it's like, I can't do that. I can't do roller coasters. I don't like physical things that make me scared. <laughs> a movie I'm sitting on a couch or in a chair and I'm okay. Um, but yeah, so it's weird. Like what triggers each person differently and what we think is, you know, scary. I will sit and watch the exorcist and be fine, but do not make me go up that space needle again. <laughs> I'm not, not doing it. I had an actual panic attack in front of, you know, strangers. <laughs> Some ladies like, can you take my picture? And I was like, I really can't, I have to get in. <laughs> my husband's over there. Go ask him. He's nice. So yeah, it was bad, but anyway, all right. Well, that was my birthday and our anniversary episode. I think we got a big stack of books for everybody. And you can also go back and look at your own history and maybe share some of the books. You know, we are online with our Facebook and our Instagram. Come share what made you a reader, what the books were that were formative for you. I'd love to hear um, people from different generations who are going to have different things. So you might share some of ours, but if you are younger or older than us, you might have a completely different list. Um, so I think that would be fun if anybody wants to share with us. But Yes. And we will be wishing Ronnie happy birthday on all the social media. So you will see that and and we don't know what's coming up next but it will be awesome so we're not going to preview yet but we do have some guests coming up we're dating things lined up and then we'll also have just our main shows with us so we hope you join us next time and until we see you again we hope every book you pick up is rad reading thanks you guys bye